Uh, as you may know, we've been doing a guest teaching series. Today's our second week doing that. Um, partially, I'm really excited, to be honest, that Jason's taking some time, some much-needed rest. And at the same time, I'm really excited that we get to invite different uh, ministers of the gospel from the city. And I'm really excited to have with us uh, Brian Dye this morning. Brian is a, a dear friend, him and his wife. Uh, Heidi have been doing ministry in the city for a very long time and discipling men and women uh, for the past couple decades. Uh, I know that I connected with Brian at Grip, uh, but I know that now he's uh, an executive director at this awesome ministry called Legacy. So we're really excited to have you, Brian. So glad to have you share with us this morning, brother. It is good to be here. Um, I count Pastor Jason as, as a man uh, that I have great respect for, a great leader in our city. Again, Juan and, and Lindsay, uh, Josh and Amy and others uh, have been friends for several years. Um, so it's good to be here with amazing people who love Jesus and love our city. There's also something special about this place, this building. Um, I grew up in Humble Park, just south of here, with a believing mother and grandmother. And uh, one day when I was in fifth grade, my grandmother walks me into a community center in our neighborhood on North Avenue near Washtenaw. And I come to know this place as Inner City Impact, um, this place where mentors would invest in my life, uh, would proclaim the gospel to me, would build on the foundation of my mom and grandmother. Um, and I remember probably sixth, seventh grade, uh, Interesting Impact expanded into Logan Square and bought this old movie theater. Uh, I have hung out with many youth in this building, and this, I've hit many jump shots in, in people's faces uh, on these rims, uh, or at least have attempted to at TJ. I think I, I hit a couple in your, in your face as well. Um, it is, again, good to, to be here. Um, this is a special place uh, for me. And currently, I'm a resident of West Garfield Park, uh, further west and, and further south. The passage has already been uh, read this morning, but we will be coming from John 1, 35 through 42. John chapter 1, 35 through 42. And let me just walk us through this passage one verse at a time. It says, again, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. We know that the John being spoken of here is John the Baptist. Uh, he was the mega church pastor of the day. He was the man whom everybody wanted to hear. He is the man whom people would walk out into the wilderness uh, to hear him call out their sins, to call them to a message of repentance, to prepare them for the way of one who would come after him, one who was greater than he was. Hundreds of people, thousands of people. And, and this man was a little peculiar. He was a man, if you've been in Chicago long enough, you know the the the. Uh, the State Street preacher, um, Old Navy preacher, we, we would call him. Uh, the man with a microphone, he's probably in his 60s now. 
a kind of a shorter individual and, you know, just calling everybody out. You know, you smoking that square, you're going to hell, right? You know, not the approach I would encourage us to take, but, but John the Baptist in many ways was, was this peculiar individual. Uh, he, he, he lived off the wild. He, he, would, uh, he, he, he would not go to the typical grocery store. He would not go to the, 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 the five-star restaurant. He would uh, simply pick off some locusts off the tree and some honey uh, sap, and, and, and he would eat off of that. He, uh, for clothing, he would find a dead camel on the side of the road, and, and he would make his clothes. I'm, I'm assuming he didn't smell the greatest. I'm, I'm assuming he, he didn't have a whole lot of close friends. Um, he, he didn't hang out much with people. He, he was so committed to this gospel proclamation, to this calling of people to this Savior that he knew was coming right behind him. We have people like John the Baptist in our lives today. For some of us, it's our pastor. For some of us, it's someone that mentored us when we were younger. For some, it's a parent or, or a grandparent or a teacher or a coach. Someone that, that we have high respect for. Someone who, whom, whom we, we look to for guidance and we look to for wisdom and we look to for, for hope. There's part of us that wishes we were like this person, but part of us is not fully committed to paying the cost of being like that person. And here is John the Baptist. He's standing with two of his disciples. He's hanging out with two disciples, two learners, two pupils who, who, who are clinging to his every word, who are watching the way he lives his life, who are watching the way he interacts with people, who are watching the way he spends his resources, his time, his money. They are learning from this individual. And we all know that individuals, no matter how amazing they are, humans all have frailty. Humans will disappoint us at one time or another, even those who, who don't intend to. A parent will pass away. A mentor will move on. A pastor will take another church. And it's, it's easy to, to get to a place where we have put this person, this individual, in the place that only Jesus Christ can be. So as John the Baptist is hanging with two of these disciples, they have no idea that one day he will be beheaded. And in the next couple years, he will not be there anymore to teach them, to to pour into them, to encourage them when they are down, to point them to this Messiah. But John the Baptist knows that his time is limited. John the Baptist knows that, that he is not the one that they should ultimately be dependent upon and looking to. So he sees Jesus walking by, his cousin. The one he baptized recently in the sky cracked open and father spoke. This is my son whom I love. I'm well pleased. Jesus walks by and John the Baptist sees him. And he calls his disciples. says, look, behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, 
the Lamb of God. Now, if you walked out on Fullerton Avenue and the first person walks by, you said, behold, the Lamb of God. Let me teach you about the Lamb of God. People look at you and look crazy, right? In our context, in our culture, we don't quite understand this language to the same extent. We here in America don't even eat a whole lot of lamb, right? Uh, we don't see lambs walking down the street. We don't see them in people's backyards or community gardens. The only lamb experience I have is having a gyro. In the hood, we call them gyros. The gyro is the official Greek pronunciation, but I love a gyro. I, I, every time I drive by a gyro spot, I, I want to get one. I, I, I like it. But that's, that's our limited understanding, for the most part, as a culture of, of lamb. But in the Jewish context, put your, your, your shoes, your Jewish shoes on 2,000 years ago, and you would have had a whole different perspective. For a lamb, just to, they, they would have known their, their people's history. They would have known that their people were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They're in bondage. They're in captivity. And God sends a prophet, a messenger by the name of Moses, a person who did not see himself as being adequate, to Pharaoh, the greatest king of that time, to say, let my people go, and plagues would follow. And the final plague would be that the firstborn son of every household would be killed. Firstborn son of every household, not just of the Egyptians, but also of the Jewish people. Because they would understand that sin has consequence. Sin leads to death. Not only for those we would consider the heathen, but also those we would consider the self-righteous, those within the church. We all deserve death. All sin is separation from God. But God, as he always does, provides a way out, provides a way of escape. So he said, if you would take a lamb, an innocent lamb, a perfect lamb, a lamb that did nothing wrong. If you would take little Buffy, take your pet, and you would slit its throat, let his blood be poured out on behalf of your family, your household. If you would take that blood and, and paint it over the, your doorpost, as the angel of death comes by, it, it will do what? It will pass over. Where does salvation come from? It doesn't come from their good works, their efforts, but it, it comes from the innocent one that sacrifices its life. And obviously we know that that points to one who is greater. But every year from then, God had his people initiate the Passover feast. Every year, every household would gather a lamb and would cut its throat and its blood would be poured out and they would eat that lamb as a reminder that sin has to be atoned for. Sin has to be paid for. Not only once a year, but every day in the temple, in the morning around 9 a.m. and in the afternoon around 3 p.m., the, the priest would take an innocent lamb, would cut its throat and sprinkle its blood on the altar. Someone would be on the top of the temple and blow a shofar around 9 a.m. and around 3 p.m. Reminded the people, again, your sins have been paid for. Your sins have been atoned. Your sins have been covered. 
And we know that three years later from this point in time, Jesus Christ would be put on a cross around 9 a.m. Right as the lamb in the temple was being sacrificed and the shofar was being blown. And right around 3 p.m. as the sky got dark, Jesus cried out. His last words as that afternoon sacrifice was being made in the temple, it is finished. Jesus Christ is the only Lamb of God. It, it can't be a, a, a mentor, it can't be a disciple, it can't be our parents, it can't be our grandparents, it can't be even our pastor, even though we have great utmost respect for all those people. There is only one who atones for sin, and his name is Jesus. And John the Baptist knows that his two disciples need to see Jesus in that way. They need to behold him in his beauty and his majesty. They need to trust in him for his finished work and, and, and not anybody else and not themselves. That we can never obtain the perfection of God. Jesus is the only one who fulfilled it. So these two disciples started to follow Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever been walking down the sidewalk and someone you feel like someone's following you. You start to look back. Maybe you cross the street. Maybe you grab your keys or something. You, you're like, I'm, gotta, I'm ready to fight, right? He sees them following and he asked them a question. What are you seeking? What are you longing for? What are you looking for? What are you after? This is a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. What do we seek in life? What do we seek when we follow after Jesus? People seek Jesus for many different reasons. Some people believe that, man, if I follow Jesus, he will make my life troubleless. He will take away all my pain. Some people seek Jesus because I don't want to spend eternity in hell. What are we seeking Jesus for? What are we longing for? What do we, what do we hope to find in him? So this is a good question that Jesus asked these two disciples and a question I believe he asked us today. What are you seeking in him? What do you want in him? And these two disciples give him a second title. Yes, he's known as the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. But they give him a second title, Rabbi, which means teacher. Not only have you paid for my sins or will pay for my sins, but, but you have something to teach me. You have, you have the way of life for me. You, 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 you have direction for me. You have guidance for me. And I want to know what you have to offer. I want to know what you know. I want to I know what you, you think. So they call him rabbi, which means teacher. But what's interesting is the, the, the next question that they say, the next statement that they have, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? 
That doesn't make a whole lot of sense in our context. Think of your favorite podcast preacher, your, 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 your favorite author. If you ran into them at Starbucks, you said, man, I, you're, you've been my teacher. You've, you've imparted into my life all these years. I listen to your podcast every week. I check you out on YouTube. I, I come to your service every Sunday. Where are you staying? That conversation can get very quiet, very awkward, very quick. What do you you mean, where am I staying? You mean, where can you, when am I going to let another podcast out? You you mean, when am I going to preach another sermon? You mean, what do you mean? But in this context, learning had everything to do with modeling. It's, it's, It's as we teach kids. You, you, those who are parents, you, you don't have a whiteboard in your student, in your child's bedroom where you're like, this is how you tie your shoe. You step A, step B, step C. This is how you potty train. Step A, step B, step C. Make sure you're ready because we're going to have a test on this. A parent's model. Parents model how to talk. They, they model how to tie their shoes. They, they model how to use the restroom, right? Learning can't just be academic. And, and this is the danger of us in the West where, where so much of our learning is, 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 is simply intellectual knowledge. And that is obviously a part of it. But it's, it's more holistic than that. It's not just knowing more facts. Satan has plenty of facts, on Jesus. Satan does not have a relationship with Jesus. And this is, is what they want to know. They want to know where you staying. I, I want to I see how you live your life. I want to I see how you act around people that, that rub you the wrong way. I want to see what you do with your time, with your money. I want to see if what you say matches up with what you do. Jesus said, come and you will see. They spent that day with him. It says for it was about the 10th hour. 10th hour would have been about 4 p.m. They spent 4 p.m. until the next morning with Jesus. Not an hour, not two hours, not three hours. Several hours with Jesus. They're having conversation together. They're being with one another And this is what Jesus, the rabbi, invites us into. He doesn't invite us into a classroom. He invites us into his life. John 15, abide with me and I will abide with you. He invites us to come and be with him, to to spend time with him. So, So living this Christian life isn't just acknowledging that Jesus died for our sins, but it's it's day by day, moment by moment. I want to be with my Savior. I want to be with my rabbi. I want to be with my teacher. Because the more time I spend with him, the more time I emulate him, the more time I copy him, the more time I, the more I look like him. I want to be like this rabbi. And as far as I know of all the world religions, Christianity is the only religion that offers God in a personal, intimate relationship that he offers us to come and sit at his feet, 
to come and be with him. And Jesus would spend the next three years with these 12 individuals, these 12 disciples, and these two being included in that. They came and stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Look in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. The first title for Jesus in this passage is the Lamb of God, the one who takes away our sins. The second is the rabbi, the one who, who invites us to come and be with him. But now Andrew, one of these two disciples, in the, in the morning, when, when, when his light back outside, he, he runs home to, to the person that he, he knows the best, to the person who is his closest friend. He has to tell somebody about this one. Because when we spend time with Jesus, he changes us. We, we get excited about him, and we want others to know about him. And, and so he goes and gets his older brother, Simon. And he says, he gives Jesus a third title, Messiah, or Christ. Messiah being the Hebrew way of saying it, Christ being the Greek way of saying it, same thing. But this was the understanding that the Jews had that, that the world was created beautiful in the Garden of Eden. That there was, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. That there was no relational issues with anybody. There was no fathers abandoning children. There was no murder. There was no strife. There were no wars. There were no calamities. There were no earthquakes. There were it's no destruction until sin entered the world. When Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, sin enters the world and, and corrupts everything. It doesn't literally just corrupt our relationship with God, but it corrupts our relationship with one another. And we see that in our world today. We see a greater and greater divide between races, between social classes, between political parties, between masking or not masking, Greater divides, because that's what sin does. It causes us to separate. It causes us to isolate. It causes us to see other people as enemies. There's wars and rumors of wars. And they understood that this is not the way things will remain. This is not the way it, it, it is intended to be. So they took scriptures like Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind. They understood that this anointed one is this Christ, this Messiah, that this Messiah would come one day and he would start to restore things back to the original form, back to the original way it was meant to be. That this Christ would, would give sight to those who, who don't have sight and, and he, would, he, would, he would walk with the poor and he would treat everyone with, with the same dignity. That, that he would reverse the curse. Whatever sin has affected, Jesus the Christ reverses. And so Andrew, in one night with Jesus, understood that Jesus was more than just a savior, more than just the lamb who would take away the sins, more than just the, 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 the rabbi who would invite 
them to come and be with him. But he was also the one who was going to make marriages be restored. He was also the one who was going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children. He was also the one who was going to end all wars. He was also the one who was going to end racial tension. This is the Messiah, the Christ. The one who is not okay with the world being broken as it is, but the one who brings healing. And so Andrew brings his, his brother, Simon, to Jesus. And, and I love this, this, this end right here. It says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The Greek word, when it says Jesus looked at Simon, is this Greek word in blepo. It's this idea of looking through somebody. When we look at somebody, we see them for who they are right now. This person is annoying. This person is, is a liar. They're always telling stories. This person, I don't trust their motives. This and that. This person gossips all the time. And we treat people based off of who they are right now. But this is not the way that Jesus looks at people. And we should all be thankful for that. Because Jesus did not look at me for who I was. He does not look at me for who I am today. He looks through me. He looks into my future. And he says, you are Simon, son of John. We know Simon. We know the strengths and the weaknesses of him. He was someone who was bold, passionate. He was a leader. But he was also a, a little impulsive. I mean, think about this, right? It's soldiers come to get Jesus. Like a legion of soldiers. Like hundreds of soldiers come to get Jesus. And Simon has this great idea. We're going to fight them off. And I'm going to pull out my little dagger, my little, my little knife, my kitchen knife, right? And, and who does he even stab? He doesn't even stab a soldier. He stabs a servant. Like Simon, like, what are you thinking? Like, you really thought that I was going to save Jesus? Like, you pulling out a kitchen knife and stabbing a servant? Simon's the one who saw Jesus walking on the water. He says, I want to be with Jesus, which is a good thing. It was good that he wanted to protect Jesus. It's good that he wants to be with Jesus. But he doesn't think that I didn't take this class yet on how to walk on water, right? And so he starts to walk on water, and, and then he realizes, oh, yeah, Jesus didn't teach me this part yet. And he starts to sink, and he cries out, save me. Peter is the, Simon Peter is the one who, when Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times, he says, never will I deny you. And the very next few hours... He's mumbling over his words. He can't even admit that he is the man that's being spoken of. This is Simon. And Jesus looks at him. He says, he, he doesn't sugarcoat things. He, he doesn't say, hey, you know, uh, so, some of our culture today is, is like we always just sing praises on people, right? This is not Jesus doing that. He's like, yo, you are Simon, son of John. You are messed up. Your brother told, your little brother Little brothers always trick on their older brother, right? 
Your little brother told me all about you last night. I know how you be acting up. I know how you never listen to the teacher. You always got to be the center of attention. <laughs> I know this about you. But this is not who you're going to be. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas, Peter, means rock. Stable. You're impulsive. You act a little bit like a sponge. But you will be a rock. And I will use you to redeem this world. I will use you to accomplish my mission as the Messiah, as the Christ, to, to restore all things. I will use you in your weakness. This is what the Messiah does. He takes us, broken people, frail people, people who don't always have the strongest faith, people who don't always know all the knowledge that we should know, people who forget often. And he takes us and he forms us. He molds us. One day at a time, so that he could use us to restore his world. This is the reminder I want to bring us to today. Is that there's only one person. There's only one person who, who could take away our sins. There's only one person who, who could ultimately be our eternal teacher. There's only one person who can restore the brokenness of our world. And when we put that faith in somebody who's not named Jesus, we will be utterly disappointed. I love my wife, and I think she loves me. But she's imperfect. I let her down. She lets me down, even when we don't try. I've had many mentors and pastors over my life some of them have moved to other cities and some have, have, have moved to other places. We, we have friends. We've all had friends, people that we counted as best friends at one time who, who we don't talk to as much anymore. And, and, and maybe it wasn't even any bad situation that arose. It's just life situations happen. And transition happens and people move on. God has given us people. He's given us parents. He's given us ministers. He's given us family. But at the end of the day, he's given us himself. And are we beholding this lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Are we walking with this rabbi? Are we, are we intimate with him? Are, are, are we just dependent upon a, a Sunday sermon? Are we just dependent upon a YouTube sermon? Are we just dependent upon somebody else to, instead of Jesus? And, and, and are we joining him in the work of redemption, of restoration in the city? The city that, that I have loved, the city that I've spent 45 years in. The city that, that I see the beauty and the brokenness but yet the city that God wants to restore. And he restores it in us and through us. Father, we, we just pray. God, we thank you for people that you have used to 
part in us, people that you've used to encourage us, people that you've used to build us up, people that we have utmost respect for. God, people like John the Baptist, who, who, who are the type of people that we hope to be one day. We hope to be as committed to them we, as they are. We hope to be as, as, as righteous as they are, as much, have as much faith as they do. But Lord God, through it all, you're calling us to have hearts for you, for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, you said that this is your son whom you are pleased. Father, we pray that our hearts would know this Jesus in this way. Lord God, that he would be our Lamb of God, that he would be the only one that we trust in for salvation. Not our good works, not our righteousness. Our righteousness is filthy rags. Our righteousness will, will fail. Our righteousness will never meet the mark. But Lord God, Jesus did. And this, this Lamb of God invites us to come and be with them, into relationship with them. God, we pray that moment by moment we will meditate on your word day and night, that we will pray without ceasing, that we, we would walk with, with him. God, that we would hear his voice, that we would start to emulate his actions. And Lord God, we pray that that would lead us into participating in his mission, a mission of restoration. God, we live in a city that is broken. God, we, we have on, on one end people who are chasing after the next promotion, chasing after the bigger house, chasing after the, 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 the next car. Lord God, who have abandoned their own children because they're chasing after the things of this world, children who are growing up without knowing their parents, Lord. And God, on the other end, we, we, we have people, Lord, who, who are live in broken homes who, who may not know their father. Lord God, who are seeking to, to know their identity and, and, and find that in, oftentimes in gangs and, and belonging to places where they don't belong. God, we pray that you would use us to be your ambassadors, Lord God, to be on mission with you. God, that we would call people to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.